Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Klepe, and on today's show, MDV, Gabe and I discuss this idea of what is redlining. How does it impact your fitness, and how does it relate to us here at NC Fit? I really enjoyed this conversation. It was sparked from this morning chalk up article. We dive right into it on today's episode. Now, before we get into it, we're putting out more content. Let us know what you think. Rate it, review it, share it with a friend, and let us know what subjects you want us to dive into. Now, without any further ado, let's dive into an incredible episode with the boys, Gabe and MDD. Let's go. All right, MDV, Gabe, we are rocking and rolling, and first topic of the discussion, and I think it's one that I think is is needed in our industry, in the functional training space, is an article that came out from the Morning Chalk Up, and you and I, or all of us, we've been talking about this for a little bit, but the article was titled Pro Tip. If you're redlining, you're kind of doing it wrong, and on the cover is a picture of an athlete, Sam Briggs, phenomenal athlete, who's just smashed on the floor after doing a sled pull. And I think that a lot of us have been there before. And I think that when we look at this, we read the article, all of us on this call. Also, we've had some um, kind of videos come out, in particular one um, from Seth that that I wanted to uh, kind of reflect on in regards to his theory on intensity giving results. Yeah, so Seth Myers talk- from Jump Ship Training. Yep. So we should talk about his perspective, because I think his perspective might align with more of traditional CrossFit views. And I think morning chalk ups position might be more of um, how we've seen the evolution of functional training. So I think it's a great topic to get into. I think this idea of redlining when training is something that historically in CrossFit has been like a framework and a foundation. I mean, as you guys know, one of the original mascots or actually the original mascot of CrossFit was Pukey the Clown. Mm-hmm. And I remember shirts that came out left and right. Our workout, or excuse me, our warm-up is your workout. And Pukey the Clown was like a symbol of your effort is when you would throw up. And I'm raising my hand and saying, hey, there was many years at our gyms, many, many years that I would place my desires on the athletes and that I would push them at times to throwing up. And I actually thought it was okay. But that's changed over the years. So let's dive into it and let's see what we got. You know, I, well, I was just going to say, you know, this was specifically interesting, you know, for me when I was reading it, because I found a lot of parallels in my own kind of training journey in that <laughs> I, I remember like vividly back in the, you know, the days of CrossFit Garden City, where I started training that if a workout came up in the programming that was in any way not measurable, like you wouldn't be able to tell if you beat other people, like I, I didn't even want to do it. Like it was so not exciting to me if we were doing an EMOM or if it was like pick your own weight or if there were options for a movement. Like I wanted something that clearly like can my score beat my peers or not or can I PR if I've done this in the past? And I think that, you know, all of us have really come to a much different place in our training. And I think that also the type of training we do at NC Fit reflects more of an in-between. But I thought what was interesting about the article was that at least some of the figures that they pointed, namely the 5% that we can get into in a bit, seemed like a little bit of an overcorrection to me. Yeah, you know, I read the article and I also watched Seth's response and I really respect Seth a lot. Um, You know, I've I've known him for many, many years. We've had a lot of really deep and unique conversations about training, about programming, about coaching. And he knows his shit. He's worked with hundreds if not thousands of athletes and definitely a lot of people at the highest level 
So I really took what he was saying and wanted to listen to it and really think about what he his position was deeply. These other people who were quoted in this article, yes, they've been around for a very long time. There were some people in there who have been coaching for 10 years. Obviously, those people have a position of uh, seeing a lot of athletes and respecting, um, you know, the journey and talking and seeing all these different types of people come across their their different gyms. The one thing that I think we have to call a spade a spade before we get into this discussion is that nobody defined what we were talking about in terms of redlining. The morning chalk up article, I think, where that article could have done a better job would would have been to lay out a definition of what they mean by redlining. And then going into the discussion with these particular coaches about that aspect of what they're talking about in term in this term, because, you know, redlining can be two things and probably can be more than two things. But mainly, let's talk about two things. It can be going so hard that you're reaching the point of your complete shutdown, that you're you're going so hard, whether it's uh, aerobically or you're going so hard with muscular failure that everything in your system shuts down. And now, like you had before, you're throwing up, you're close to passing out, or you do pass out, you're hyperventilating. I think that that's certainly, you could look at that and go, oh, whoa, that person just redlined. Now, there's another <laughs> kind of yeah. different- yeah, An unhealthy redline, but yes, yes. Yeah, right? Like you could, that that certainly could be redlining. Now, you could also put um, somebody into a, uh, into a workout and you could have them go up to their 95, 96, 97, 98, 99 type of uh, effort, getting real, real close, as close to the edge as you can, but then not going over the edge. So I think that there's, um, you know, we have to kind of make a decision about what we're talking about here. Are we talking about redlining going over the edge to the point where you are completely beyond any sort of recovery where you'd have to stop your training or stop your workout, you're on the floor, you're writhing, you're throwing up, you're in a really bad place? Or did you just hit your maximal intensity that you could hit for that workout without going to that next place? You know, so I thought, go ahead, Gabe. Well, I was just going to say off the bat, I think that it's actually a very, very minuscule percentage of people that can get to the first example that you gave. I think that it takes... A, a very specific amount of like mental toughness between the ears to actually get there and like a very specific structure of workout that even allows you to get there without, you know, certain things just kind of stopping because of muscle endurance, so on and so forth. Like, I think it's actually a little bit more difficult than, you know, just, oh, going above the edge and like, you know, your complete shutdown. I think that there's very specific athlete only that can get there. I don't know if I agree with that because I think that you could you could go into a workout without a level of awareness of what you're doing or without having the knowledge or the discipline to slow yourself down when, when you might, if you had experience, you might hear these things in your head telling you like, Oh shit, we're reaching that point where if I go any harder than this, this is going to be a bad situation. Right. And I certainly agree with you insofar that like, yes, there takes a certain amount of physical capability and awareness to push beyond those as well. So there's one aspect where you go, hey, this person has experienced this before and they know what they're getting into and they're going to go into that place and they kind of understand what's on the other side. They understand that this is going to be really, really bad. But then you have these athletes who have no experience who go, whoa, way beyond. That's more, actually, that's more of a dangerous situation because 
that person could really, really, really mess themselves up because they don't have any exposure to that land before. So I think that there's kind of both cases there. Well, I think so after reading and, and listening to this video. So first off, this concept that intensity gives results. I think a lot of us can agree with that. Um, but at, at an intensity that's relative. So before this conversation is over, I definitely want to talk about our perceived exertion scale and our different types of workouts. Because if you had asked me back in 2008, intensity was the only way to get results. Forced over distance, over time, and, and, and just all out all the time. That means if it was a 20-minute AMRAP, I'd go so hard and just try and hang on for the next a little bit of bit. There was no this concept of pacing. But I think with intensity, it could all be relative to the individual, obviously. But the theory that you have to have intensity, like that, that all-out Fran intensity to get results, I, I think that's been um, realized not to always be true. I, I think EMOMs can be extremely successful. I think pacing appropriately can really create adaptation. And this idea that you have to go so, so hard to create adaptation, I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's there anymore. Whereas in the beginning, I would have agreed. But I do think in between the ears to, to create adaptation, you do need to push yourself pretty hard. So one of the things I think we could talk about from a red line perspective. So you have MDV's theory where like basically you're on the ground. Is that it? Or is there this, or is redlining, could it be considered tests instead of training? So maybe that's our way of defining it where every day, like Gabe was saying earlier in the conversation, he was looking for what's the number one score on the board. Let's just say it's nine minutes, right? And we're defining redlining as your ability to try and take that score, beat that score and put up your best possible score, period. Is that redlining? Maybe that's what it is because could, could that be the definition, right? Where you are literally going out there with the mindset of setting the best possible score as a test and not as a training event for that day. I mean, I think that that's the simplest way to talk about it is like, could you have done a little bit more? Could you have gone a little faster? If the answer to that question is no, then to me, that's at least how I define redlining a workout is like, could I, based on how I felt today, based on, you know, my recovery, based on everything in that moment, could I have gotten more reps or gone a little bit faster? Or was that it? And that to me is, is redlining. But I agree. I think it's tough to, you know, really pinpoint a very specific definition. Um, but that's, that's what I would boil it down to. Yeah, I think for the purposes of this discussion, and I think where the, the article and where Seth are both talking, I think they are talking about this state where you have gone beyond your physical capacity. You are pushing yourself to the absolute utmost limit. You're recognizing that this pace is not sustainable for me, and I'm going to try to push beyond that to get the best possible result out of whatever I'm doing. And the results of that, for some people, might be, hey, they just are on the floor after and breathing really hard, and they need a few minutes to recover. And like Seth said, there's also some people who can tap into that phase or that kind of uh, mode of their training and be really messed up, but then recover quite quickly. And there's also some people who get to that point and it's a point of no return in which there's some really serious consequences there. Now, like Seth was saying in his video, he's coached thousands of athletes over the years and he's seen only a few get to that point. I've seen people get to that point as well. And it can be a really, really 
bad situation. So I, I don't want to have this conversation about redlining and be like, oh, well, redlining has no downside whatsoever. No, there's definitely a downside for some people that get to a point where they have gone beyond. And this is really dangerous. But, you know, there's also this idea of we need to talk about whether or not we're like, who is this person who's coming in and what are their goals and where are they at in their fitness journey? Because I think Seth hit the nail on the head in terms of like, if he's coaching really high level athletes who have aspirations to go to the next level in the CrossFit games, those people necessarily need to be getting into that stress state to know how far they can go, how hard they can push. Because when it comes to the games, everything's on the line that right. you have, you can't hold anything back. If you've never been there before, that's a whole new feeling that you don't want to be feeling for the first time on the floor at the CrossFit games, where a lot of stuff is on the line. You want to be able to train in that state and then know that, Hey, this isn't sustainable forever, but I need to gamble right now to win. Yeah, I think there's different levels. If you want to talk from a competitor perspective, I think we're talking about something a little bit different because then you need to intentionally put yourself in a position to be as redline as redline gets. And so an example of that would be, you know, I don't know, me doing an open workout in front of a crowd or, you know, having one of my top competitors come out and trying to battle them. You're taking yourself to a totally different mental footprint because you're trying to prepare yourself for competition that you're going to have to take yourself to a level that you've never experienced before. I, I hundred percent, if you're trying to compete in the sport of fitness, you need to um, probably redline much more than James uh, McDermott was mentioning 5%, right? You need a, you need a redline more than that, but your redline might be relative to a traditional person. So what I mean by that is if a traditional person comes in, they train hard and they, whatever, they have a great workout. An athlete could go in there and train three, four times a day. And maybe they're redlining only so often when they're in training camps. So think about like a Noah Olson recently. He goes in, he probably doesn't redline every one of his workouts, but he probably picks a few a week where he purposely puts himself in this competition setting where he goes up against someone and they throttle the hell out of it. But that's probably more than 5%. But I think there are difference of, are you trying to compete in the sport of fitness or are you trying to use functional training to help you outside the gym? And if that's the case, how often should you be even be thinking about redlining? And is that even the most effective way for you to train for longevity is, is I think what they're bringing up in morning chaka. Gabe, do you want to go? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 like I, I keep coming back to my own training because I am constantly looking at kind of what's out there. What And I know that it's always anecdote when you're talking about, you know, what works for you and you alone. But I mean, I've definitely shifted now to where, you know, I have, you know, very low to zero interest. And I know, Jay, I give you a hard time sometimes about beating your time, but I really have very little interest in training for performance specifically. Like I'm really trying to feel good. I'm really thinking about being able to do all the things that I do now, especially now that we have some land and we have to be very physical outside um, for years and years to come. And I still go back to the fact that, you know, if you're talking about 5% or as it's in the article, less than 5%, you know, that's one every 20 workouts. And like, when I look at my training, like I just did assault bike intervals and definitely pushed on the last block to where I would consider it redlining. Like I was slurring my words. I tried to record a video that I'm sure you guys saw and like was having a little bit of trouble speaking. And that was like a good 10 minutes after I was done. But you know, now I'm here, I'm on the podcast. I feel great. 
but I feel like I definitely pushed to that point and I'll probably want a workout that elicits that response. I would say two times a week at the least. And then maybe sometimes three times a week, it's not always going to be assault bike intervals. It'll be an NC fit workout for Met Connor X. Um, but I think that that, that to me seems like a very reasonable amount of that type of stimulus. And I'm not training for performance. I'm very much feel like I'm training for longevity. Yeah. The set, the set of circumstances in the setting really need to be discussed in this conversation because, you know, I, it's a, it's a fact. Let's just put this out there. It's a fact that you can get incredibly fit and you can have a body that is prepared to do whatever you want it to do outside of the walls of the gym and have really high levels of fitness and health without ever getting to a red line state. Now, would you go out and have the best time in a CrossFit workout or would you compete at the CrossFit games with that type of fitness? No. But I think for the vast majority of people, you can train your body in a way where you, where you don't ever go to absolute pinnacle peak failure and you can still have a very, very large kind of fitness well to dip into and do whatever you'd want to do. But also like now when you're talking about the set of circumstances in the setting, we have to think about, you know, okay, if these people are coming into a CrossFit gym or a functional training gym, there is an aspect to that training of intensity and intensity. Like we said earlier is uh, one way that you can certainly get some results out of your training for sure. Right. And whether that's intensity through load or speed or volume. Now, part of the journey through a functional training or CrossFit program is experiencing intensity and ratcheting it up slowly over time relative to where you're at in your fitness journey. Now, some people might get to high, really, really points of high intensity. And that might be as far as they ever need to go. Or you might find a circumstance like an assault bike or, um, you know, a run or a row where you might say, all right, hey, today's the day where we really want to try to push ourselves beyond this physical and mental limit because there is some beauty in breaking through perceived barriers that we have for ourselves. You have to also consider the set and setting in that circumstance, though, because you might not want to put people into that type of mindset during workouts that might be too much, too soon, too fast for them, or it might be a, a lift or, hey, if I'm doing clean and jerks or a deadlift, do I want to redline during that? Do I want to redline during my muscle ups? Not necessarily, right? Like, so I think that it's a complex discussion as well in that regard. There are opportunities for people who walk in a functional training gyms to go beyond what they've set as their physical and mental limit in quote unquote more safe manners. And the assault bike is a fantastic example of that. Because when, when you get to a point where you go too hard on the assault bike, your legs just stop working. And then yeah. you're kind of hyperventilating. You got to come off and you still have to be careful putting people into that who are deconditioned, who have never experienced that. But that's a bit of a lower risk type of red line situation where now this person has access to this holy shit, I did something I've never done before type of uh, feeling. Yeah. I mean, on the red line note, I mean, this is, like I said, this is a very complex conversation. I mean, I've made the mistake with earlier athletes and I've coached many, many high level elite athletes and also obviously in our gyms. And I've made the mistake before of, you know, having new people come in and I want to dose them a little bit. And I didn't know what they ate. I didn't know what their blood sugar was like. I didn't know how they were feeling. And I would dose them. And at times they would end up feeling nauseous and lightheaded 
and we've had to call the fire department a few times. I'm not, I'm not proud of that. Right. Um, but that's something to be aware of, especially for, for newer athletes. But as you start getting more and more aware and you get to know them better, definitely a great place to dose somebody for sure. Is it more of like your aerobic type pursuits? Because one thing we also need to take into consideration with this red line conversation is not just the red line at the moment, but also what the byproduct is thereafter. And I think that a great example is wall balls, right? Wall balls are a really good example or thrusters where an athlete who's maybe, you know, wants to put a pedal to the metal on Karen can get after 150 wall balls, but then all of a sudden they can't walk for a week. And so was that a conducive uh, uh, goal of theirs to put themselves in that position? Because even though at the moment they might not have felt like they were redlining or look like they were redlining, the amount of load, the amount of intensity was so much so their body hadn't been acclimated to that. And now all of a sudden they're out for a week. So that's another whole another layer of this red line conversation is how well can our athletes recover? And are we putting them in a, in a, in a disposition? I think that's ultimately the coach's job is to make sure you're putting them. I think this can all be bundled up in the idea that the coach needs to be aware of how that athlete's training is and, and ratchet it up or down based on who they are, what their goals are and how much capabilities they have. Because as you could tell, this is not as cut and dry as it might seem. And the idea to say 5%, well, I think it's probably more than 5% regards to redline a week, but there's so many factors of what should you actually be redlining? Because there's some workouts that I think you should, some workouts I think you should just tone it down and really work on positions more so as I've gotten older and matured more through the sport. I, I also want to kind of discuss really quickly, all right, let's put ourselves in the setting of an NC Fit gym, right? We're a functional training gym and we're a community-based fitness environment where we have people of all walks of life coming in. We've got people who are really, really fucking fit in our gyms. We also have people who are just starting out their fitness journey and everywhere in between. In, in our gyms, in our gyms, if I was ever looking at one of my coaches and they put somebody into a workout intentionally where that person was pushed to the point of them passing out or throwing up or not having bodily control or being in a place where it's like, we have to call the ambulance right now. That is a bridge too far for me. And I would not, if that's the definition of red For me too, for me yeah, too. That's yeah. not, I don't think that's necessarily either what Seth is talking about because I know Seth would-, would No, he's definitely not talking about that. Agree yeah. with me. So we have yeah. to say that, hey, listen, there's a difference there. Now, if you are somebody who's training for the- CrossFit games and you have to push yourself beyond your mental limits. And there's a, a one time or two times that you make that mistake and you go so hard that, you know, now you're throwing up and you're in a place where it's like beyond. It's a little bit of a different circumstance for me, but for the average person walking through the doors of the gym, I think you can reach, you can break through those mental barriers. You can break through those physical barriers without getting to the point of the beyond territory. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that that's not even what the Morning Chocolate article is is necessarily defining as redline because what you just described, I mean, it's shouldn't even happen 5% of the time. Like, it's not like one every 20 right. workouts you should be right. calling the firefighters. So right. I think that that's... Well, we don't know. We we don't know what they're talking about. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping yeah. that's not what they're saying. You know, once every 20 days, you got to have the firefighters on call. But no, I, I, I agree with you. I think that that's, and, you know, an interesting learning that I had. And I remember this because I was young. I had just started coaching. I was doing on-ramps and I had someone come in 
and you know got pretty messed up by like the 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 first workout that we had them do which wasn't anything crazy but it was like your typical like very fit strong individual that hasn't done anything for a long time and this workout had a 250 meter row to buy in and to cash out and i was like really riding him on that last one to go after it and pushed him a little bit too hard and it, it wasn't a good experience for him and i remember you know Dennis, who's a great mentor of me um, at the time when I just started, like pulled me aside and, you know, and we had a conversation about how, especially for someone first coming in, that's not where we want, even though the funny thing is what, what I remember is my first introduction to CrossFit functional fitness ever was what Jason described earlier was seven minutes of seven wall balls and seven burpees. And I was, you know, fit at the time I was a college athlete and I did a lot of wall balls and the next day I couldn't get out of bed. But, you know, some of us are a little crazy. And that was actually the reason that I wanted to go back and do this type of training. But I could see why, how that for a lot of people would actually be a huge turnoff, especially now when there are all these other options, Orange Theory, you name it, that are, you know, giving people hit, you know, high inten- intensity um, training, but without eliciting that kind of response. Do you think that this whole thing could be solved with removing this idea that we're testing every day. Do you, and then I want to get into how we approach it because maybe when we're talking about our different types of workouts, MDV, we could really say that our sprint style workouts are more of that, for lack of a better term, the red line-ish, but we only program those X amount of times per week. And maybe that's our answer to this conversation. But I want to ask about the test because in our gyms, you know, back in the day, I remember the sign of a great day was when I looked at the whiteboard and it had as many names as possible with the score next to it. Then ultimately that ended up going onto a Wattify platform. And then ultimately over time, we stopped tracking things like that. And that was just a part of the evolution. But I'm wondering um, if, if the future of, of CrossFit and functional training takes less pressure off this idea of tests every single day and turns into more of a training, a, tr- a training for that day. Well, I, I also, I think we should just go back really with like the history of CrossFit and like where it all started out and how it's evolved because, yeah, true. you know, I, I'd probably bet my bottom dollar that, you know, we probably all got into CrossFit early on because it was the hardest workout of our lives. It's the hardest thing that we ever did. And we wanted to experience that quote unquote pain on a very regular basis where like, I think earlier on in CrossFit, like definitely you looked at every workout as I'm giving nearly my absolute all to this based on, you know, the loading, the time domain, the structure and everything else involved. You looked at it and you said, Hey, I have to make an assessment about how I'm going to push in this workout to absolutely maximize my score. And as you kind of, And as the sport has evolved a little bit or the training has evolved a little bit, and as we've all evolved a little bit, I think that that mindset, at least for me, has changed. Yes, there are some workouts that I look at and go, I need to absolutely push myself to the limit in terms of what I can give to this workout to maximize my score. And there's a lot of other workouts out there in training uh, structures like EMOMs that have been introduced a little bit more, you know, recently and how they're structured and like you know, rest work periods and uh, rounds or sets uh, with rest uh, afterwards and all that kind of stuff where 
you're not necessarily looking to maximize your output every single minute or every single set. You're looking to, you know, hit a certain type of training stimulus in relation to what the goal of that workout is or what your goal for that workout is. So I think that that's just important to recognize as well. It's like, I don't look at functional training anymore as like every workout I have to die in for it to be a successful functional training session. That has changed. My mindset on that has changed over the years, for sure. Yeah. And, and I just want to acknowledge too, like when we talk about this idea of tests and training, I will also raise my hand and tell you that for many, 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 many years of my life, it was always a test. It was always on every single day. And it's because I would look at the scores of different people and I'd want to beat them. I mean, I, I was, I was uploading my scores on com in 2007, trying to beat people. And that inspired me. But, but now as I've gotten, you know, matured my, I'm no longer inspired by that. So I think there's this fine line between inspiring people by that and then making it so pressure filled or so whatever that people get actually unmotivated by it because after time, like, dude, I just want to come in and get a great workout. I don't, you know, and, and so I think that's where this evolution of, of CrossFit and functional training is. I think anybody listening, especially gym owners, they need to be aware of that. Like this is your athletes are not the same as they were 10 years ago. They've evolved and maybe they don't want to have their score put up on the board every single day and feel like they have to throttle it. Maybe, maybe they want to just be able to come in and have a great session. I mean, I look at like jujitsu MDV. When I go to Coyoteras, I have to put myself in the mental mindset that I am going into like going to war, but I can only go into war so often. Whereas in other gyms, I can go in there and feel like I get a great workout and I could do that more regularly. So I wonder how often are people looking at our gyms, maybe not our gyms, but in general CrossFit and saying, hey, you know what? I can only go in there once or twice a week. Whereas if maybe we change the framework a little bit, they'd be able to come in more regularly and actually help our attendance numbers. So that's a whole nother, like, you know. Well, I, I definitely think that burnout is real. Um, burnout is definitely real in terms of feeling like you are pushing yourself so, so hard in these workouts that over the course of years, Maybe you just don't want to feel that every time you have to go log a workout. I've definitely experienced that. I've taken steps away from, you know, training at super high intensity because I don't necessarily want to always feel that. You know, the other thing also is like when you were, when we were all doing CrossFit in the manner that we were discussing before, where it's like every time you walked in, it was like, I need to do my absolute best. I need to do better than the last time I was in here. Now, unless you were somebody like Jason or you had aspirations to compete, those people have to be training in that way in order, you know, more often than not to really excel and, you know, rise above their peers. But let me ask you guys a question. When we were pushing ourselves that fucking hard, was the only point simply to just get better at doing more CrossFit? Like, did it actually give you any more access outside of the gym to levels of fitness that, or uh, of the ability to do things that improved your everyday life? That if you hadn't gone as hard, and if you focused on your mechanics a little bit more, or you slowed down, or you didn't get to the point of like complete failure, did you gain anything more than you would have if you were like going? nonstop 110% every time. And I, I think the answer for me is no. The only reason I was doing CrossFit so hard was to just do more CrossFit harder, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that at the time, you know, like, and I think this applies to a lot of people, like, you know, my, my social group of friends were at the gym, like, you know, your performance at the gym was like a piece of a lot of different aspects of my life at the time. And so, no, I, I, I don't think it helped me outside. I actually think it hindered it because I remember oh, yeah. my right knee used to hurt all the time. And, you know, I wasn't really doing anything outside the gym anyway, because life kind of revolved around the gym. And like, you know, for better or for worse, like I, I actually really enjoyed that time in my life because like my yeah. closest friends were there and so much fun was had in throwing down daily and talking smack before talking smack after. But to answer your question very plainly, like, no, I don't think that it helped, you know, my ability to do stuff outside of the gym, first of all, because I wasn't really caring too much about stuff outside the gym, but stuff that I did want to do, like, you know, if anything, I was like in a little bit of pain and, and, and probably unnecessarily so because of what I was doing in the gym. Well, I think, you know, MDV, I mean, obviously we are bringing up has a few, you know, you know, ways you could take it. Right. One way is to be like, for me, yes, I was putting myself in that position every single day, but I was also surrounding myself with like-minded people. I was trying to go win. I had sponsorship opportunities. That was the culture we were creating and I loved it, but Outside the gym, of course, it wasn't necessarily doing me huge favors when I was just wrecked from being in the gym all day, every day. But that I also knew what I was getting myself into. Now, I, so I think there's this interesting, I wrote this down, like callousing the mind versus longevity is, is something that I would think about as a everyday athlete. Let's just say you have no aspirations to go compete in the sport of fitness and you're looking to do this. You're in your mid thirties. You're trying to keep up with your kids. You're trying to do these different things. On the one hand, I think going in there and callousing your mind by putting yourself in uncomfortable positions has benefits to it, right? This micro adversity, you go in there, you're pushing yourself, you're overcoming these obstacles, and you could take that and put it outside the gym. I actually think there's there's value to that. However, there reaches a point where you're, you're, you, you put so much pressure on yourself and you're callousing your mind so much every day, every day, every day, every day, that you actually start hindering your longevity component. And I think that's where each athlete needs to have this good conversation themselves is, hey, what's the balance between going in there and putting myself in micro adversity and developing those skills? And then I can't do this for the long run. So what am I doing? I need to make a shift. And I think that's a beautiful blend actually of this conversation in whole. Like these are my red line days. These are my longevity days. Over time, maybe there starts to be like this balance because everybody changes as, as they get older and their priorities shift. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if they need to be mutually exclusive. Like, I don't know if like longevity and callousing your mind are mutually exclusive because. Yeah, yeah maybe not. Yeah. I think like you can, you can go into the gym and get a really tough and challenging workout and break through some mental and physical barriers and, you know, be putting money in the bank for your for your longevity. Now I do, I do think that there's an extreme difference between this like burnout, uh, hyper redlining nonstop type of state that you put yourself into every day. And I think that that would interfere with your longevity, but mo maybe most are in terms of like, Hey, maybe you get injured or maybe you stop training because you've just given up on it and it's not fun anymore. And now you've, you know, taken a step back and you know, your health starts to suffer or whatever. Um, I know you did want to get into talking about like kind of how we view, fitness within the walls of the gym. Yeah. Maybe um, that could be a great segue into this idea of like the, our different type of workouts, because I, I still don't think that we've clearly defined red line. I think we've had some ideas of like, maybe it's, you know, these different things we're talking about. I think at this point, people probably get a general idea, but I think what, with our workouts, I think it's a really great way that 
we could look at it. So yeah, let's dive into it. So in terms of how we view fitness at NC Fit, fitness is something that when we are in the gym, we are training to benefit ourselves outside of the gym primarily. That for me is really important. Yes, we care about your results in the gym, care about the numbers that you're putting up, care about you know the scores on your workouts, but I don't necessarily care about those things as much as life outside the gym. Do you have free and full access to everything that you ever want to do? Do you look the way you want to look? Do you feel the way that you want to feel? Are you on the path to all those things? Or is the stuff that's going on in the gym hindering that because you're too wrapped up in your head about your scores or your numbers? And beyond scores and numbers and beyond what goes on outside the gym, those we already talked about that. I really, really care about the integrity of the movement and how people are approaching the workouts and having a healthy mindset about those things as well. That going into the workout, it's not just reckless abandon to move as fast as humanly possible to finish the workout as fast as possible. That you want to move with high levels of integrity. That you want to choose weights and movements that work for you relative to your goals. And you know, I think that you know, even in situations where there's a benchmark or it's just a regular workout, a benchmark for us would be a, a workout that you know has a name, and we want people to you know maybe think about going a little bit harder on that workout that day because you know it's an opportunity to test yourself or you're going to repeat it or compare it to scores in the past. Even on those workouts, I think that. I would much rather people go into it and take an inventory of how they're feeling that day. It's so relative to the individual that day, that workout, uh, that moment, that that is takes priority over anything else for me. And I know that some people out there might go, well, you have to push through some of that. And if it's a benchmark, you have to show up and you had to work your hardest. No, I don't believe that. What I think we do really well at NC Fit is I think that we as coaches guide people to the best workout that they could have for that day relative to who they are, what their goals are, where they're at, and that exact moment, that workout. And it's going to be different for every single athlete. And I don't think that this cookie cutter approach of saying that, hey, just because this workout is an EMOM means that you need to slow it down and it needs to be lower intensity. Or this cookie cutter approach that just because this workout has a name and it's for time that you need to go as hard as humanly possible. No, you need to do what's best for you that day in concert with conversing with your coach and understanding how that's going to impact you and your fitness goals. And for us, and for me, I think that that's really important. Yeah. I just want to highlight something then Gabe, I want to hear from you, but like back in the day, if Fran or one of these benchmark cross workouts came up, when the class came in, I set the expectation that guys, we are getting after it today. Everybody's getting after it. we're all PRing. Right. And, um, as things have evolved, right? I think back, like, what are our coaches getting paid for? Our coaches are getting paid to provide a high-level service to make sure our athletes have fun, get in a great workout, and learn something new. And every single day, the reason why they're there is to adjust for each person based on how they're doing for that day. Because, dude, there might be a day where you come in, you're fired up, you're ready to ramp it up. Well, let's ramp you up that day. Might not be a benchmark day, but let's ramp you up that day. Or maybe you come in one day, hey, man, you, your baby had you up all night, all these different things. We want to put you in the best position to be successful for that day in that workout. And I think that even if you're listening to this and you use our app or you're at home, 
taking that same mindset, I think is really important and giving yourself some grace in that. Like maybe you're up all night, go in there and go crush a workout that's relative to you. Or maybe you feel good. You're three cups of coffee deep. You're ready to rock and roll. You slept all night, crush it. Well, I, the, just really quickly with that Fran example, I think that that's a really beautiful example because we do still program that workout every now and again in our NC Met contract. And the coach who's administering that workout should have a really deep and intimate understanding of the stimulus, which is that workout, you want to kind of have your foot to the floor from minute zero to whenever you finish. It's a fast workout. It's meant to be a little bit of a higher volume, lower weight. You're moving through these repetitions quickly. And the general expectation across the room at the whiteboard, when we're introducing this work, I'd be like, hey, today's a day where if you want to go a little bit harder, if you want to push the pedal, this is what it's here for. But if you're not feeling that today, if you want to kind of take a step back, if you need to feel your pull-ups a little bit more, if you want to go a little bit heavier on the thruster or slow it down, we have options for you as well. So I think that there's also this general expectation of understanding like, hey, I have to understand as a coach and the athlete, what is this workout demanding from me? But then also take where I'm at currently in the present state and understand deeply that Yes, that can apply for me, or maybe I need a something a little bit different based on my current set of circumstances. And I think that's a super important point that, you know, just because Fran is historically a benchmark workout and it's supposed to be intense, that doesn't mean that everyone in your class, that that is what they should do that day. I think that, you know, going back to what Jason said before, a lot of coaches, you know, myself in the past, instill how we would approach a workout or what we think that workout should feel like on people that might, for whatever reason, have zero interest in getting there today, for whatever reason. And I think that at the end of the day, as coaches and gym owners, we have to remind ourselves that, you know, I don't know if the customer is always right kind of applies here, but at the end of the day, like they are paying you for a fun workout. And if for them going pedal to the metal on thrusters and pull-ups is not going to be fun that day, I think it's up to you to give them an option that they are going to enjoy and they are going to move a little bit. Like it doesn't matter that they don't end up flat on their back. If they squatted some weight a little bit and got some vertical pulling on the pull-up bar and raised their heart rate, that is a win because they came into the gym and they did that versus not doing that, right? And not getting any exercise in. I think that very times we can be narrow-minded to what these workouts mean because maybe that's what they meant for us or what they've meant historically. And we lose sight of the fact that we want people to move, learn something and have time. That's it. That's more important than anything else. Yeah. And so MDV, just to kind of like, you know, make sure we put a bow on, on this conversation. I think uh, we do have different types. So when our coaches are reviewing our plans or when our athletes could look at different things, we have, I mean, we have a lot of resources and tools we provide the gym owner and the athlete. But we have different types of workouts. And I think that that starts to lay the framework of like the mentality going into it, right? Yeah, this is something that we introduced um, back in 2021 where we created different categories of workouts and we assign every workout that we do to one of these categories, whether that's a quality uh, day, whether that's a sprint day, whether that's a heavy day whether that's an effort day or whether that's a grind. And within those five categories, there's these archetypes of, hey, generally, this is how we approach these types of workouts. Now, effort workouts are the most commonly programmed type of workouts within our system. And this means that essentially you're looking at a workout that you have to figure out 
a relative moderate high to high intensity pace usually that will sustain you across the entire workout. So take like an AMRAP 15. If you have three movements in there, generally you're not just sprinting at your max quote unquote redlined pace the entire time. You're thinking about, all right, what's the length of this workout? What's the volume of these movements? What type of movements are they? And how do I adjust my own pace within this workout to maximize my output across this AMRAP or get what I need out of this AMRAP for the day? That's how we help frame the discussion for both coaches and athletes. And then different types of workouts have different goals. So, you know, a quality workout would be assigned to something that's maybe not for time or doesn't have a score or maybe a more EMOM type of structure. Then you have a sprint workout that usually is in the sub 10 minute type of category where we are asking for very, very high intensity. Do we want people getting to the point where they go into that no man's land and they're throwing up and they're writhing on the floor and we got to call the ambulance? No, but we do want them to push their gas pedal personally, if they have it that day, a little bit harder. Grind workouts are usually a little bit longer beyond like the 20 minute mark. And they're not only testing you physically within that time domain, they're also testing you mentally. Can I just keep up with the rigor of this workout over the course of 25, 30 minutes? Do I hold this? Can I hold these kettlebells in my hands as I'm walking the 400 meters with them and it's grinding against me mentally and physically? So that's kind of one thing that we do at NC Fit to help both coaches and athletes figure out, hey, where do I need to be in this workout? And then compare that to what my own personal effort is going to look like. We also recently introduced uh, perceived exertion in two of our programs. We introduced perceived exertion in NC Flex and also in NC Compete. And I actually got some really great feedback the other day in our NC Fit Collective Facebook group because I had forgotten to assign uh, perceived exertion to a couple of workouts in the Compete um, track one day. And one of the members hit me up and was like, hey, our athletes are loving understanding what's the difference between a RPE eight uh, to nine versus an RPE five to six. And it gives them a framework of, all right, am I going, do I need to push towards my max today? Or is the intention of this workout to be more of a training stimulus where I'm looking to sustain for longer periods of time and hold something back? And that's how RPE for us has been applied. And we haven't applied it yet to NC Metcon or NCX. But it does exist in NC Compete and our bodybuilding and functional strength program, NC Flex. And it shows up in NC Flex only for the functional strength portion where we have, you know, assigned lifts like back squat or strict press or deadlift where I want to give athletes more insight into like how much loading should we be using for today or how hard should I be pushing? Yeah, I I think that that's a great way to kind of summarize this conversation. Personally, I think that when you look at like how often – do we do a sprint like what once or twice a week at the most? Um, yeah, I think, you know, more often than not, if I had to characterize a week in NC Metcon, it would be probably four effort workouts, one grind, one quality and one sprint. And now, you know, four effort workouts that might change to three effort workouts. And you might have a week where you double up on a sprint, or you might have a week where you double up on a super long grind, but generally we're in that effort trend of being a little bit more dominant and then placing pieces around it, um, you know, grind quality sprint. Yeah. I think that's a good way to look at like redlining, right? Redlining 
can really only be done too on specific type of workouts. It's hard to quote unquote redline for 15, 20 minutes. And so if you look at the bulk of our workouts, the bulk of our workouts lay in that, you know, 10 to 20 minute range. So by design, in particular in Metcon, in X, it's even more this way, right? But by design, it's hard to redline, redline, redline for that duration. Whereas if we were doing a, you know, five minute workout, seven minute workout, we might be having a different conversation. So I think even that in itself was good clarity there. And then that rate of perceived exertion, something newer for us. And I think it's, I, I wonder what would have happened if that had been introduced in the CrossFit 10 years ago. Um, would that have changed the way people approach workouts in general? I'm glad we introduced it now. Well, they talked about RPE a little bit in the morning chalk up article towards the bottom. Yeah, and, you know, one of the coaches who talks about it, you know, makes the statement and I'm, I'm paraphrasing about having uh, an awareness about when you're assigning it, because it doesn't mean anything unless your athletes know what they're getting into. Well, of course, yes. Like that, that's everything, you know, that, that also is any workout that you put up on the whiteboard that it doesn't mean anything if you don't give your athletes an understanding of the stimulus and what you're asking from them. But at least in my opinion, when you have RPE there, you know, for the pieces that we use it for right now, and maybe we expand it further in the future, it allows the athlete who might not have as much context to the overall understanding of the workout, uh, or they might not have like as deep of an intimate knowledge, or they might just be a little bit too um, shy to maybe ask the question. And maybe they can just look at the number and go, Oh, well, I understand what eight to nine means for me. So I got to push a little bit harder today. That's also part of the reason why we introduced the workout types. Just want to shorten the, the, the learning curve a little bit for people where you go from looking at this workout that looks like an AMRAP 15, you go, all right, well, what the fuck does that mean for me? And when it has an effort tag next to it, you can go, all right, I understand that I have to pace this across the 15 minutes in a way that I can get what I need out of it or maximize my score. If it's a, a three-minute test and you look at it and it's a sprint next to it, you go, all right, well, now I understand this is a sprint. It also helps athletes who might not necessarily be like fully wrapped into this idea that, hey, I can get a, a good workout for today uh, just doing kind of three minutes worth of work. And usually we put some stuff around it at NC Fit. But there is some value in punching your gas pedal for three minutes really hard, just like if you were going to run a 400-meter run or 600-meter run and to really try to push yourself every now and again, and that be the test for the day. Jay, to your point, before we wrap up, I do think that it's worth noting that, you know, something like RP being introduced to CrossFit in the very early days, I think that there was something about this obsession about the leaderboard that was a, an ingredient to this like rapid growth because of the early adopters that it had you know, really resonated with that. You know, they loved the fact that it was, hey, I'm getting after it every single day, especially when in the fitness space back then, there there, there wasn't anything close to that, right? Um, so I think that, you know, it's the classic example of you kind of have to go through those early steps and lessons to get to where we are now. It's really difficult to say, well, what if we had these lessons applied then, then maybe we wouldn't be where we are now anyway. Well, I think you're totally right. I mean, if I look at like what Greg Glassman did for the fitness space, I think he did two things. He combined different modalities in the fitness space, right? Gymnastics, weightlifting, which hadn't really been done before. And he added a clock. And I think adding the clock and the stopwatch created this whole generation of people that are fighting that clock for their workouts. So I think what happened is you went from like not using a clock at all to then using the clock all day, every day. And that was like the holy grail. 
to now, I think the evolution is we're somewhere in between. We're removing with purpose, but we're not necessarily like I still use the clock every day for all my workouts, but I might just be moving at a different pace than I used to. So I think it's just an evolution. I think it's actually really beautiful to reflect back on that um, and see kind of where we came from. I, I appreciate this conversation because I think the idea of redlining needs to be talked about. And just this whole idea that like the fitness space is ever evolving and we're a part of that. And um, having an open conversation about how our own training has gone, I think is important. So on that note, uh, MDV, Gabe, any final thoughts on this before we sign out? I mean, obviously for any gym owner or coach out there, if you haven't checked out the NC Fit Collective, if you're a gym owner, we put out the world's best. I mean, the world's best session plans and programming. And if you're an athlete, oh boy, our app is woo, <laughs> next level right now. That's all I got to say. We have a new one coming out. Okay. And uh, wait until you guys see it. You're going to love the new facade, the new look, the new, uh, the new tools that we have available on it. So how about you guys? What you got? Yeah, I, I would just kind of um, maybe offer a piece of advice for anybody willing to take it out there if you're a coach or an athlete. And, you know, just kind of take a hard look at if you are somebody out there who's putting such a high priority on all of your scores in your workout. And that's the only thing that matters to you. I just ask, I want you to ask yourself this question. Well, why? Why is that so important? Why is the number that you get on the workout so important? And maybe balance that against, hey, am I, am I giving my best effort today? Am I moving with a high propriety? Am, are my mechanics really solid so that I'm reducing the risk of injury and getting the most out of the movements? And then also look at how these workouts are impacting your everyday life. And if you are going so hard or you're so wrapped around the axle that the scores are the only thing that matters, are you stressing about your fitness so much outside of the walls of the gym? Do you get home and you're just a complete slug because of the work that you did in the gym and you, you're not able to train the next day or you're impacted so physically by it? And maybe it's time to just take a little bit of a step back and go, all right, these workouts are great. I still want to go hard every now and again, and I'm going to push myself when I'm able, but do I need, really need to be this wrapped around the axle in terms of your scores? What the fuck does it matter if you have a three-minute Fran score, if you can't, when you walk out of the gym, do anything else for the rest of the day, or you're so in the bag that, you know, or you're so stressed about who beat me and why did they beat me and did this person cheat or whatever, that you get so kind of pulled down by that mindset. Put in the effort, work really hard, Go hard when you need to go hard, but then don't be so wrapped up in the scores of all this stuff. You know, I think that this conversation really makes me think back of a time where I was so sure that I needed intensity every day. And as a coach, like I thought other people needed intensity every day. And I think that it's really important to keep an open mind if you're an athlete to other ways of fitness. And if we're coaches and gym owners, like the up down isn't just a scaled version of the burpee. There are other instruments, like there's so many examples we can come up with that, you know, just keeping an open mind to different movements and different fitness modalities, just being that different, not better or worse, and being open mind to that and, and really being open minded to how much you can learn by seeing what other um, players in the space are doing, I think is important. And I think just in general, you know, open-mindedness, I think is something we can all benefit from these days. Um, so yeah, that's my closing thought. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. MDV, Gabe, it's always great chopping it up. 
today we dove into that red line conversation which i really enjoyed and uh, hope to see you guys here again for another episode keep getting after it Go. Oh, 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 oh